Hear the word of the Lord as spoken to Jeremiah in chapter 10. Hear the, hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are futile, for one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz and the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the metalsmith. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Thus you shall say to them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom. And, his stretch, and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile and a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Okay, before you know it, people, it is going to be Christmas. I know we all get irritated when they start bringing out Christmas stuff too early, but before you know it, it's going to be Christmas. Don't you wish, maybe you don't, but I do, I have often wished that I could find, invent, have that one singular idea that just everybody's got to have it at Christmas time. They can't keep it on the shelf. Doesn't have to be big, but then you could be set for life, right? That would just be great. That would make life so much easier. So th think in these terms, all right? How many of you remember... Finger spinners. Woo, they were all the rage not that long ago, were they? You guys have forgotten already? Oh, this is going to be tough where I'm ready to go with this, okay? All right, I just thought for sure we'd get more than one person here who remembered finger spinners because they were just a couple years ago. How about, remember when the craze was? Huh? Remember Pokemon cards? Do you remember when they, you're too young, aren't you, honey? Pokemon cards, yeah. 
Yeah, they were a big deal, man. Gotta have it. And there are kids on the bus serving Pokemon cards. Oh, the one I really wish I got was Rubik's Cube. Don't you wish you invented the Rubik's Cube? That was the go-to thing. Remember years ago, it was like, yeah. Of course, somebody came up with the clever idea of pet rocks. The nice thing about that wasn't a whole lot of overhead to invest in that. That was a good call. Remember the little trolls? Remember the little trolls? I mean the real ones, not something that came out a few years ago. I mean back when they were little and they had all that poofy hair and different colors and boy, you just had to have small ones and big ones and you had to have all the different colors. And Yeah, man, just think of the money that if you would come up with the trolls concept. But the one I want to think about, talk about this morning is you're going to have to have been around a long time and maybe it was more regional. Remember the lucky rabbit's foot? Were they up here? See, I was, I was thinking maybe they only sold them to us in displays and we were just dumb enough to buy them. It's like, yeah, we marketed those all in northwest Chicago because it's the only place where people were dumb enough to buy them. But man, oh man, I remember when we used to be able to go to the candy store. Just a little, we had a little, you know, neighborhood store like was so common back in the day. And we go to the candy store and, how, and now I kick myself. Why did you spend your money on a rabbit's foot when you could have got a Snickers bar? Now, how dumb is that? But they had these rabbit's feet, and they were, for you who don't know, they were literally rabbit's feet. And they had, they'd cut the foot, the leg off, and they had put this little cap on and a little, a little chain so you could hang it, right? And then, and then they used some type of toxic dye to create different colors with them, so you would have to get more than one color, and you walk around, and I got my lucky rabbit's foot, okay? I got me a rabbit's foot. It's lucky. How did somebody ever come up with that concept? I can, I can, I can just see it. You know, the people who raise rabbits for, uh, for commerce, they need, you know, the skins for the lining and gloves and things like that. Probably put the meat into dog food or something. I don't know. Maybe you know where you can buy rabbit meat. I don't know. It tastes like chicken. We all know that. <laughs> don't care to find out for myself. But hey, we know this is true. But you can just imagine they're coming up with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these feet. You can't eat them. You can't do anything with them. What are we going to do? You see these guys sitting in a boardroom. Hey, I got an idea. Let's put them in some type of toxic dye, attach a little chain to them and sell them to kids to tell them they're lucky rabbit's feet. And it worked. We bought a lot of lucky rabbit's feet. And of course now, looking back on it, I know enough now. Vernon, I hate to disappoint you if you have still ha are holding on to yours. But the lucky rabbit's foot has no ability to impact your life in any way other than it was lucky for the people who manufactured it because they got your money and you got a rabbit's foot. Nothing that it could do for us. But we did wonder as little kids if it would bring us a little something. Well, you know, Jeremiah calls into question in the reading that we just read the nature of the pagan gods made of wood and overlaid with precious metals. And he said, they have no value whatsoever. They can affect neither good nor evil in your life. They are nothing. Just like a lucky rabbit's foot is nothing. It can't help you in any way. And he, he calls the people of Israel to understand the nature of the God whom they worship, what he is truly like. 
He is the one who has created them. He is the one who can affect good things in their lives. Not the pagan gods, which they so tended to turn to time and time and time again. Well, for this particular little series we're doing called Seeking God, Healing, and Community, we've begun by considering the fact that when we gather here, one of the things motivating us is we are seeking God. And we've looked at why that is, why it's important, and what we have noted thus far is when we consider the topics of truth, of our moral inclinations, of purpose for our lives, only God can give meaning to those things. If, if we are here purely by random chances, I'm sorry, but each of our lives is ultimately meaningless. There is no meaning. And we know that's not true. There's something inside of us that says, that's not true. I can't buy that, that we are completely meaningless. And we're left in that place unless there is the transcendent God of the Bible who does give meaning to those things. Now, before we leave things there, because we want to move on in our study, we need to at least do one more day to touch on one more thing about the nature of our God who is able to do good things in our lives. And that's this. If we left it there, just discussing truth, morality, and purpose, we may begin to see God as an explanation or a philosophical argument. And that's how we view him. He's our philosophical argument. He's our explanation for the meaning I'm looking for in life. And knowing that, you know, that I can come up with this explanation, well, it's all good. I got an explanation for the meaning that I need, for purpose, for morality, for truth. But that, although true, would leave us woefully short what we need to understand about who God is. It's important that we understand those things. That's why I took the time to walk through them one at a time because they'll prevent us from being allured into pagan ideas. <laughs> we'll understand, no, those pagan ideas don't have an answer. There's only one way to answer these questions is in the transcendent God of the Bible. But those alone, thinking those things through alone don't answer the deepest need as to why we are seeking God. And we are. And that comes from back from our understanding in the book of Genesis. And we're not bringing it up on the screen. I'm trying to intentionally avoid this for you guys. So you, you just like, yeah, we've been there before. But you know what it says. The end of chapter 1 when God said, let us make man in our image. See, there's an implication in that that God is both personal and relational. He is personal and relational within the Godhead, within Himself. The three people of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are able to act as persons with one another and to relate one another. And they live in perfect harmony with one another. But He is also able, because He is personal and relational, to be in relationship with us, to be personal with us. So when we seek Him, we are not simply seeking a concept 
of something that will give meaning to our lives, something that appeals to us. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. I, hopefully this works. Before we get to Christmas, we're going to hit Halloween. In Halloween, I have a tradition I've carried out for many years. I've told you what it is. It's nothing new to you people. It's this. I wait for trick-or-treaters to come while I watch the movie Casablanca at home. It's a great night. Watch Casablanca, wait for trick-or-treaters. It's great. My favorite movie. I love the movie. And there's great themes in that movie. It's about a man named Rick, and he's saved from bitterness by the love of a woman. That's a great theme. There's a theme of good triumphs over evil. That's a great theme. We, we resonate with that. And there is the desire for liberty that lives strong in the human spirit because it's a time that takes place, it's a film that takes place during the time of World War II. And people are trying to escape the onslaught of Nazi oppression. And so these are all concepts that we love and that I can identify with, and I can enjoy watching the movie, but Casablanca isn't real. It's just concepts that are there. And you see, friends, a concern that, that I have is that we don't simply love the concept of a Jesus. I love the idea of a Jesus. That's why I come here, because I want to be reminded of this idea of a Jesus. The idea of deliverance. My chains are gone. I've been set free. The idea of liberty. The idea of love. I'm concerned that we don't fall there with, with loving these concepts without Him being real to us. You understand what I'm saying? Now, somebody has set forth a pagan view of this. I, I read once that it is one of the most sung songs in all of history. John Lennon's Imagine. Sets forth an idea that appeals to people. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. He who may say I am a dreamer. Okay, you get it. Yeah, you are a dreamer, John. You see, the idea that we could imagine that, oh, isn't that wonderful? And so on New Year's Eve, you know, in Times Square, the millions will be singing it, and we're coming together, and we're imagining this great thing that could be. The problem is it's not real. We know it's not real because we know what God reveals about the heart of mankind. And he's never going to come to that because he's broken bad. And so we can love a concept that's not real. And I'm concerned that we don't fall into that about who Jesus is. And so my point, one of the things I want to make clear today is that in, in, that in seeking God, we are not only seeking something real, but we are seeking someone real. A real person whom we are looking to know and to understand and someone who will relate to us. Someone who will connect with us at a personal level. And friends, that's the point of being made in His image so we can relate to Him. We're His image bearer. And as He is relational, 
and personal in Himself, and He has created us in His image as personal and relational, now we can enter into relationship. And in that relationship, great things happen. I think one of the things that that God does, God delights to see our victories when they're an expression of His image. Because that's why He made us. For His image to be expressed through us And so when we do that in a way that's not godless, he celebrates it with us. Let me see if I can give you just a little bit of what I'm getting at. I have a young boy on the bus this last week who uh, never has done this before. Decided to come up to the front of the bus. So how are you doing? And just decided to engage me in conversation. This kid never talked to me before. I was like, well, that was fun. Well, in my conversation with him, I learned that within the last year, he's gotten into wood burning. Well, that's pretty cool. Now, there's something good about wood burning. That that is an expression of God's creative work. So I can celebrate that with him. So I said, hey, if you have any small samples that you could bring on the bus, I would love to see what you're doing with your wood burning. Sure enough, the next day he gets on the bus, I I got my wood burning. He had three samples of wood burning right there to show me. So let's look at him right now, buddy. We looked at his wood burning. And I was able to celebrate it with him. Okay? Little, he came up looking for a little relationship so I could celebrate with what's going on in his life. I believe God does that with us. When you, wherever what you're accomplishing in your life, what you're giving yourself to, when they are things that honor him and reflect his image, he is delighted in you and for you that you have accomplished that. So he delights in us when we reflect his image and I believe we then delight to render him praise. See, because when we reflect his image, say in something creative, we know, and we're only scratching the surface of what creativity is like. Imagine God's creativity. And when we begin to understand a little bit about what creativity is like, and we understand who God is and how His creativity is infinite compared to ours. Where are we drawn to? Where are we forced to? Bow down and worship Him. Praise Him. So that, what He has put in us, the ability to be creative, which He delights when we show it, but that also stirs in us an understanding of who we is for a moment. It's like, hey, I, I didn't make this in myself. You made it in me. And you are even more amazing in the area of creativity. So we come before Him and we worship Him and there is relationship that is being built. Well, you see, friends, we are seeking God because our relationship with Him is broken. That's what took place at the fall. Again, you know it. You know it. We saw it after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They willfully took of that fruit The Lord comes looking for Adam in the cool of the day and He says, where are you? Why does He have to call for him? Because there's a breakdown in relationship. He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Broken. And friends, here lies the problem. This is is what we we would, I, I think, most agree to. We've tried to be number one And found something missing. That's what the whole fall and breakdown of relationship was about. Was it not? 
When they bought into the lie, that said, you shall be as gods. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. You're going to be right there as number one, deciding these things for yourself. And we've been trying to do the same thing ever since. And here's what we've learned. Self-willed, self-exaltation, it got us into this mess when they wanted to be like number one. And self-willed, self-exaltation will not get us out. And that's what we're learning as we seek God. And when we seek Him at that point of a broken relationship and trying to figure out how do we get this back together because something's missing without this relationship, the point we have to start is the opposite of self-willed, self-exaltation. It is humility. We must humble ourselves before Him in order to begin to see things restored. James chapter 4. By the way, Peter speaks to this end also. We're not going to look at Peter. But in James chapter 4, uh, he, he touches on this. I think it's interesting where he says, Do you think, beginning of verse 5, or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You see how this relationship begins to come back together? I just find it interesting that you have so many elements of what took place in the garden are right here in these verses. You got God, the Creator, you got the devil, the disruptor. You got the idea of which one are we going to draw near? We got the question of are we going to be exalting ourselves? No, we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to try and undo what took place there. And when we do, God lifts us up. And we begin to sense that wholeness coming back into this relationship. So, so that's the exhortation that that James gives, I think Paul gives us an example in Philippians chapter 3 of someone who's done this. Because in the early parts of Philippians chapter 3, the early verses, he describes for us all the reasons why he could readily enter into self-exaltation. That he is the finest of all the Jews. That he's a Pharisee of Pharisee. That he, he just keeps all the rules and regulations perfectly. So if anybody has a right to boast, he says, I did. And then he moves to this thought in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he wants to enter into relationship with the Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, which is everything that He was holding to before. He says, I'm given that all up, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him. I'm coming back to Him. And the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection 
from the dead. I'm done with the self-exaltation. I'm done with the self-empowerment, the self-willed. I'm coming back to God and finding in Him is where everything begins to be right again. So, the first point that we need to do is we begin with humility, both by exhortation and example. We've seen that. But what starts with humility also requires a little bit of tenacity. See, because it's not real, it's not real natural to us to humble ourselves, to give way to someone else. Our natural inclination is to buck against God. That's what's natural. So it takes a little something. Hebrews chapter 11, describing those who had that something, these, these people of faith, uh, the writer to Hebrews interrupts his discussion about them. He says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what we're talking about, seeking him. But it begins by understanding who He is. It begins by getting our eyes focused on who He is. And coming with empty hands and saying, Lord, I need You because I understand who You are and how You have revealed Yourself. I understand that there is value in my coming back to You, Lord. And we need to be diligent because it's not natural to us, friends. I'm sorry, it's not. It's not may sound like real drudgery, in fact, the idea of being diligent in pursuing God. And so when that does feel that way to us, sometimes we just keep walking in our own way. Sounds like a little too much work. I'll be honest with you, that, that, that's a concern that we as pastors, I sit with them, I know. That's a, that's a concern that we've had as to what the impact of this, of this pandemic might have. And I'm thankful for all those of you who aren't comfortable being with us yet, but you're still there still watching, still having the personal discipline to say, I need to be with God's people on a Sunday morning. Because when we lose that sense of, uh, it takes something on my part to put into this, to move in the right direction. Very easy to just walk away. You know, I have more fun things to do. And it may be true we have more fun things to do, but let me tell you something. If you'll push through what may feel like drudgery, there's a major discovery to be made on the other side of what appears to be drudgery in terms of seeking Him. When we seek God because our relationship with Him is broken, we begin with humility, we move on with tenacity, we quickly learn God is seeking us because our relationship is broken with Him. He's moving in our direction. Now, I believe the entire Scripture is revealing that. That is the Gospel, isn't it? That God is reaching out to us. He sent Jesus Christ so that we might be saved. We might be brought back into His fellowship. But let's just look at one thing in particular, and we'll skip over the tops of something. One thing to look at in particular is in Luke chapter 19. You know the story. We won't go into it. Jesus Walking through town, and comes. There's creating a crowd, and there's a, a guy, you know, probably my stature, by the name of Zacchaeus, and he can't see what's going on. So what does he do? He climbs up into a tree, so he gets a good look at Jesus. Okay, Vernon, I know you can't relate. Me, me, me. 
Aren't you all tall? So he's getting this good look and Jesus calls him down and Jesus goes to, uh, goes to eat with him in his home. And then, of course, he takes the slings and arrows from all the righteous ones. Well, he's eating with sinners. Doesn't he know that that's a tax collector and we don't like them and that guy's really bad? And Zacchaeus' life is changed because God came to him. And in verse 9 of Luke chapter 19, we read, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Huh. God is looking for us to come back to him. To find that place of humility where we go, you know, I'm going to quit exalting myself. I'm going to quit being self-willed and I'm going to let God begin to do a work in me. You go to Luke chapter 15. We're not going to look at them. I'm just going to remind you of them. But Jesus puts three parables in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And they're all teaching at least similar things. One is uh, the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, what shepherd doesn't go looking for that one out of the hundred that is lost and brings it back and tells to his friends, rejoice, I have found my lost sheep. He says, even the heavens, angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. And then he goes on to talk about the woman with the lost coin. He says the same thing. She finds her friends. She does everything she can to find that coin. And when she does... She calls her friends and tells them, rejoice with me. And then the most well-known story of the prodigal son is how we have, how we have uh, considered it. It could just as be well be told as the story of the seeking father. Because you know how he went off. You know he went off in sin. He went off in his own self-willed self-exaltation, I don't need you, give me my inheritance, off he goes, his life falls apart, realizes my father's servants are living better than I am when he is totally impoverished. So he says, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to confess. I'm going to humble myself and confess and I just want to become one of his servants. I can't be his son again. I just want to be his servant. So what, what, what confronts him? Those amazing words that said, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. All that time, his father was looking for this return. His father was desiring the return. And as soon as his son had humbled himself, he was ready right there. And he went and slew the fatted calf, and they celebrated. All of those are to teach us that God is seeking those, those who are lost. How amazing and how incredible is that, friends? You see, friends, we're seeking God. We're seeking God because He's the only source of life. First, he brings us life in salvation and that he creates new life in us. 
But then when we continue to seek him, he begins to replenish us with life that makes us whole. Again, we call that sanctification. It's an ongoing process. And it requires God in his love to continue investing in us. And he does. That's the amazing thing. And that's why it's not drudgery to continue to seek God because he's seeking to build something good into us. He's there waiting, wanting to bless us, to pull us out of the depths and the darkness of that sin that we wanted to wallow in for so long. But now we're finding out that, wow, walking with God is way better than that old sin life. I don't want it back. I don't want to, how, how many of you could attest to that? How many of you would say, I never want to go back to where I was before I knew Christ, right? Just like, yeah, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to live back in that again. That was darkness. That was self-destruction. That was not good. So here, I'd like to, I'd like to just finish with just, just, just a thought, okay? Um, how many of us, or how long, would any of us hang on to a phone? We've all got cell phones, right? We've all got them. How, how long would we hang on to a cell phone if all we could do was talk into it, but we couldn't hear the other person? It would take us about you know, 10 minutes to say, okay, I need a new phone. Because this connection has to go both ways. Has to. Or there's no value to this. Well, it never occur to us, maybe to a degree, a lot of us are trying to hang on to a cell phone that we can talk to God. I can tell him my problems. I can tell him my complaints. I can whine and I can fuss. And he's just supposed to listen, but, but I don't need to hear what he's got to say. Hey, friends, it's in the hearing what he's got to say that's going to change us. That's where the wholeness and the goodness is going to come as God can speak back into our lives and he, he can begin to fill it with what is good and, and righteous and we'll find satisfying again. We seek God because He alone can restore life into us through His relationship with us. That's why we seek Him. It's about relationship, friends. It's about entering into a relationship that brings wholeness to us again. I've told you this before. I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it. But my dad was clueless how to have a relationship with his children. No idea what to do. And by his own admission, he handed us over to our mom. And she had her own problems, but he handed us over to our mom to raise us. And then praised my mom for what a good job she did. Some of you might argue. I know. I get that. But I tell you what, friends. Without that connection with my father, I live every day knowing I'm missing something. Something is missing. And that's why I'm so proud of the young dads that I see around here who are investing in their children's lives. I see some great dads out here today. And they're doing a hundred times the job my dad did and probably a hundred and ten times the job I ever did. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing because something's missing without that father in our lives. This is why 
a lot of our discussion, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be political, I'm really not, but a lot of our discussion revolving around the problems within the black community is the fact that 70 plus percent don't have their father in their lives. And they're angry and they're lost because I can promise you something's missing. And so we wind up with a generation filled with rage and nobody instructing them and guiding them. And so it's easy to just be angry and destroy. And that's sad. That's sad. But friends, it's the same thing for us spiritually. Whether it's me missing my own dad, kids who are not being parented well, regardless of what their ethnic background is, doesn't matter. Without the father investing there, without the father's presence, there will be something lacking. That's why we're coming back to God, friends. That's why we seek Him. We need our Heavenly Father to be investing in us, to be protecting us from the sinful decisions that we would, be, that we would make, to be, to be offering us healing and words of encouragement at those places where we bleed, and we'll talk about that more. But we need Him, and we need a relationship with Him, not simply the concept of Him, and that's what this morning is about, but a relationship with him, a back and forth thing, but we can come into his presence, but he also will speak into our, into our ear things that, things that are good will build us up. So I just, want to, I just want to ask this one question, dear friends, this one question. Have you humbled yourself? Have you set aside the self-exaltation, the self-will, the self-aggrandizement, the desire that I'm going to be number one at all costs because that's what our culture tells us. You're number one, buddy. No, you're not. None of us are. Have we set all of that garbage aside, humbled ourselves before God and said, Lord, I need you to do a work in me because he's ready to do it. It starts with the cross. It starts with the cross. That's why he sent Jesus to open up this new relationship so that Christ would bear the, the penalty of our sins. He would be our substitute for our sins so that now God can see us in a different way and begin renew this relationship and build into us. And friends, if you have never, never trusted Christ in that personal way to begin this new relationship, can I ask you this morning to seriously consider that and do that? Set the rest aside. Say, Lord, I need you. I need you. What was gained to me, I count lost now, Lord, like the Apostle Paul said, but, but now I just come to you as you alone are my hope because of what you've done for me in Jesus Christ, and I ask you to save me. And friends, he will, because as Jesus said, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he's ready to enter into your life in a new and fresh way. Father, as we have given this particular heartfelt and serious challenge out here. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this worship center, anyone hearing this online that has never given you the opportunity to be the Heavenly Father who can restore them, I pray now they will humble themselves and simply say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying for me. I need a new relationship with you, with the Father. 
Lord, I ask you to come in and begin that relationship now. I confess you as my Savior. Lord, may nobody hearing the sound of my voice not make this decision now, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.